Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, down there, sexual and reproductive health, the wise woman way. And abundantly well, seven medicines, the wise woman way. The newest book in the wise woman herbal series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a cancer diagnosis, adaptogens for long life, and abundantly well companion course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Haven't I? Well, actually, I personally am quite fine, but I'm upset. I talked to a student, and, you know, it's not 
anything so unusual. And you'd think that I would have long since gotten over being upset, but it still really upsets me. So the student that I talked to, and she's a correspondence course student, so she has three hours of my individual focused time that comes with every correspondence course, um, told me that she'd been having some premenstrual difficulties. And nothing extraordinary, the kind of usual premenstrual difficulties, crankiness, bloating, headaches, uh, digestive disturbance, the usual stuff, right? Right. Right. Nothing nothing peculiar. So right. she went to the doctor and told the mm. doctor that she was having these difficulties. And the doctor said, well, we have a great cure for that. And we're going to put you on birth control pills. Mm. Which mm. does indeed cure all those symptoms, right? Mm-hmm. Because you right. stop ovulating. And right. you stop making those hormones. So it's kind of like saying my hand hurts and so he's saying, We have a great remedy for that, we'll just cut your hand off. Mm. Although of course that's a little dramatic. It's not like they're really cutting a woman anyway. We're just making the symptoms go away by preventing her from ovulating. And in fact I'm not against birth control in any way at all. But in this instance, she wasn't looking for for birth control. It was being suggested to her because of her pretty normal symptoms. Well, she started taking the birth control pills. Within a few months, she felt really depressed. And she went back to the doctor, and so the doctor put her on Zoloft. Now, you notice I'm using this phrase, put her on, because that's the phrase that she used. And you know it's a Mm. phrase I don't like at all, because doctors don't put us on anything. They don't go to the drugstore and fill a prescription. They suggest, but we have to actually be the ones who do it. And now she's on two fairly powerful drugs. And so her doctor says, we should do you know, some really thorough blood work and really see, like, where you're at, and decided from this blood work that she was pre-diabetic. Actually, what the doctor said was, you're not even really technically pre-diabetic yet, but you're right at the edge, so let's call you pre-diabetic. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my goodness. on metformin. Oh. We're talking about a woman in her... Do you see why I'm upset? We're talking about a woman in her 30s. Yes. Wow. So, rather than just being upset at the doctors, um, because really that's all they know how to do, I just took the moment to really sit with what's going on here. And I asked her to tell me a little more about her symptoms. The ones that took her to the doctor in the first place, right? Mm-hmm. And as she began to tell me in more detail about them, it became very clear to me from what she was saying that she was under a huge amount of stress. Mm. And that her body 
was doing everything he could to signal to her, we need some time off. We, we need something. We can't do this every single day of the month. This is too much. And in fact, she teaches high school students in a very violent neighborhood. Oh. Wow, a lot of stress. So it's not just, and as she said, I was never trained to do this. I was never trained to, to take care of students who have these kinds of things going on. And I said, you're, you're literally in a situation where your life is threatened. Mm. And your body is not messing up and misbehaving, but in fact doing the absolute best it can to save your life. And I said, there's simply no way around this. You need to quit your job. Hmm. You know what she said? And this is what really upset me. I mean, all the rest of this, okay, it's upsetting. But what she said that really, really upset me was, I can't quit my job because then I wouldn't have insurance to pay for the drugs I need. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. (sighs) So I said to her, okay, you can work at a job that's killing you. So you can have health insurance to get the drugs you need while you're not taking care of yourself. Mm. And I'm talking about this because I do not think this is an isolated person. No, it's not. It's far too common. I, I hear it as well. And it's it's just so sad. That, yeah, I don't understand a person's priorities, but the wholeness of the Well, I, I, the analogy I made was, what would you tell a woman who is in an abusive relationship? Mm. If she said, I need to stay in this abusive relationship so that I have the insurance to pay for my broken bones? Oh, my gosh, what a beautiful analogy. That just, yeah, that puts it right there. It makes no sense. Okay, right. Backwards. Makes it absolutely clearly backwards. And nonsensical. Said, Beyond... it, there will always be times in our lives when we do things that don't seem sane. I understand that if you quit your job, that, and she's very concerned that her friends and her family would think she was a quitter and a loser. And I said, you know what? Let them. Mm. Because better to be thought a quitter and a loser than to kill yourself. Yes. Yes. I could see where I understand it. How we see ourselves is very valuable and very important. And most of the time we're wrong. Most of the time, if she really went to her friends and her family and said, I'm thinking of quitting my job because it's killing me. They would say, thank goodness you've realized it. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's power in surrender sometimes. And it's, we, you, you know, so many of us don't do because we're afraid our friends or our family will think this or that about us. But we haven't checked that out. We don't really know that. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, that's how I am. Mm-hmm. <laughs> how are you? <laughs> I'm doing well. Pretty, pretty good. Getting used to the time change and the early darkness. Um, but uh, I don't know. And the more light, and more light in the morning. More light in the morning. I, I mean, I, I like more light in the morning. time because um, I'm an early bird, so. I've been getting up earlier, and yeah, it's I like it. Just tune in my schedule a little bit, so and trying to get last minute stuff done before we're supposed to get our first little bit of snow here this weekend. So had a few. Ooh, Ooh. yeah, how exciting! Well, also exciting is Michael Bruce is back with us. We talked to Michael Bruce a few years ago. He's the sleep doctor. And he's all over. He's on the Dr. Oz show and CNN and CBS this morning and Huffington Post and Psychology Today and da-da-da-da-da. He's, in fact, the official sleep expert for Princess Cruise Lines, where he helps develop the Princess Luxury Bed. So Dr. Michael Bruce will be with us talking about his newest book called Go From Dragging Ass to Kicking It in 30 Days. <laughs> Love that. He'll be here at nine o'clock, so stick with us until then, or come on back so that you can hear what the sleep doctor has to share with you. He was wonderful last time, and I'm sure he'll be even more wonderful this time. Mm-hmm. Anything else that, that you've been doing that you want to share with us, or should we jump into the questions? Um, I have nothing spectacular, and we already have three callers who pressed one to say they'd love to speak up and have a question tonight, so I'm good with that, if you're ready. All right, let's do it. All right. All right, we've got three callers that have pressed one. The first caller is calling from the 907 area code. From the 907, you are live with Susan. Hey, Susan. Hi. Hi, I'm calling about my root canal, and then I have a okay. question. Sure. So, <laughs> so I went and had the root canal, and I, you know, as I told you, I was very paranoid about the swallowing issue, and it turned yeah. out that 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 dam that they put in your mouth it, that it wasn't no that wasn't any big deal. I'm so Actually, glad. Yeah, it wasn't literally. A big deal. It wasn't a big deal. However. <laughs> Something did happen. As he was drilling or whatever he was doing to get the nerve, the x-ray first showed that, oh, the nerve is perfectly straight and, oh, this is going to be great. But the nerve kind of made a, like a turn. Yeah. Yeah. And he went through my tooth. (laughs) And... Okay, I was like real I'm happy. Sure what you, I'm not sure what you mean he went through your tooth. He's supposed to be going through your tooth. I mean, he, he came through the tooth on another area, and he had to patch it. Uh-huh. So 
there was a 5% chance that I would lose the tooth. Because of and that. And he was like, yeah. He said, if you have any, you know, excruciating pain, you know, call us immediately. And, you know, this would, yeah. Anyway, I was all like nervous. And I had absolutely zero pain. I'm just wondering if that's from putting the yarrow on. I had nothing. I had Certainly zero. is. And when he Yay, called yellow. me, <laughs> when he called me two days later, and I told him I had nothing. I mean, after the Nova, after all that, like wore wore off, there was nothing. And he was like, "Oh, I'm so ecstatic." So now I just have to go and get the crown, and that's the end of it. Yay! Yay! I mean, I was oh god, I was I was just so nervous about that. So that that's worked out great. And then I started I had this bag of marshmallow in my in the house and I made a, a tea out of it for my throat. And I was like, wow, this this is really helping my throat. So I looked up about infusion for some reason. No, I looked up about the properties of it and I heard that I read that you could use it as a poultice, um, but my question is, do you, is it cold infusion or like a hot infusion? How, how do you exactly make it? Because I'm confused. I do both. The okay. cold, inf- the cold liquid dissolves mucilage. There's mucilage in linden. There's mucilage in marshmallow. There's mucilage in comfrey. There's mucilage in plantain. And so when those herbs are soaked in cold water, the water gets very sick and viscous. However, that doesn't get any of the nutritive qualities of the herb. Those are untouched by the cold water. So what I do is first I make a regular infusion with one ounce of marshmallow and boiling water. And I let that sit for four hours or overnight, whichever works for me and what's going on Mm. in my life. And then I strain that off. And fill the jar with cold water and put it in the refrigerator. Okay. And that then extracts for me the mucilage that we were just talking about. Mm Mm-hmm. Plus, I have the infusion that has all the minerals of that deep root. And you can mix them together. You can drink them separately, just like with the comfrey and the linden, which we do somewhat like that, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, I started putting it on my – my dog has an injury that he's had for a while, and I started putting it on his injury, and it's actually drying it up which I'm very happy. 
because I don't want to have to put them on antibiotics again. Dr. Christopher used to tell a story about marshmallow and comfrey that was, to me, like the quintessence of the herbal story. He said that after giving an evening talk, he was approached by a man in a wheelchair who said to him that he was scheduled to have both legs amputated the next day. And Dr. Christopher said to him, if you wish to avoid that amputation, get in a hot bath and throw marshmallow root and comfrey root in there with you and get a helper to keep the water hot and keep bringing more root to you. And ten years later, Dr. Christopher was in the same town. A man walked up to him and said, I'm that man who was in the wheelchair. Wow. And he had indeed avoided having his legs amputated. Wow, that's amazing. Isn't that like just like the the herbal story? <laughs> that is. That is. It really is. <laughs> so, okay, uh, I'm going to do that definitely. And can I tell you one more story? Well, it's just it's a of course. An incident that happened up here in Alaska. There was a woman on uh, St. Lawrence Island, and she was interviewed by a news reporter. She had COVID, and her village is Savonga, and um, the village helped her get through it, and she wanted to do something for the villagers, which she is a common, it's common to do that. So she made all these herbal tinctures and salves, and she gave it to each one of the villagers. And the news reporter, oh, this is wonderful, blah, blah, blah. After she's finished with the interview, the reporter goes, but don't, don't you, don't, don't do this yourselves because those herbs are not safe. I couldn't they interview this woman, you know, she's, it's wonderful what she's doing. And then after the interview, they said that, that's how anti-herbal medicine is becoming. They don't want people to have it. That's what I, that's what I, I, I'm seeing. I think that it's more fear than um, specific not wanting people to have it. I, I know that when you are broadcasting, um, that you have to be responsible for the idiocy of people. Yeah, yeah. And so if you broadcast an image of somebody doing something and somebody else does it and gets into trouble, um, you are somewhat held responsible. So you pretty much have to say, don't do this yourself. It's certainly totally gratuitous to say that the herbs are dangerous or poisonous because guess what? That person doesn't know that, and you know what? Everybody listening to him knows he doesn't know that or her, that she doesn't know that, right? Exactly. I mean, but this, you know, we're... Exactly. This, this well, everybody's going, yeah, 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 we hear you. Sure, sure, sure. Right, so right, what, right, uh, what right. I think is that, uh, what I think is that most people, you know, kind of took that... Exactly as I'm saying, to be, okay, we're protecting our <clears throat> nether regions here from you're acting like idiots. I don't, think, yeah. I don't think people were seriously put off by hearing that is what I'm saying. 
You don't think so? Not in the I mean, least. I, How I, many I know things I, that I, your parents not to do did you not do? Right, right. I just thought it was strange because the, the woman was Native, number one, and they never mentioned what she was giving. She was just saying, I gave everyone a basket with the salves and tinctures I made, and that's all she said. <laughs> she didn't say what she was give, you know, exactly what she was giving them. I, I just didn't think they had to do that. They didn't. They they didn't have to do that. I completely agree with you that it was quite gratuitous, but I understand yeah. their fear. Right, right. You're right. So anyway, I just wanted to share that. <laughs> That's what's happening Thank in the North you. Country. Okay. Oh, Thank you. Okay. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right, and we have two callers that have pressed one to signal that they have a question. Our next caller is calling from the 610 area code. From the 610, you are live with Susan. Hello. Hi. Good evening. Um, thank you so much for all that you offer. Um, I, I was just thinking... Uh, how often I thank you in my mind. <laughs> so it's nice to get to thank you with my words. <laughs> ah, I receive it both from your mind and your words. <laughs> okay, the reason I'm calling tonight is to ask you about uh, tooth grinding. Um, I would not have known that I was doing it but for my wife saying, like, hey, did you know? Hey, guess what? <laughs> You're grinding your teeth. Also, in the same bed, <laughs> um, I I twitch in my sleep. She's like, get your hands off of me. You're going to, like, twitch all over me. And <laughs> So um, I'm curious um, what your thoughts are on those. When we're asleep, we're not in conscious control of our faces or our bodies. Mm. And we all, to whatever extent, use that conscious control of our faces and our bodies to signal to others how we are, as opposed to the goats who never do that, right? (laughs) The goats just fart and belch and pee and poo and butt horns, and they just, they're not ever concerned about how I might view them. But we are, as humans, we're concerned about that. And, as I said, to a greater or lesser degree, we're all aware of other people. So when we fall asleep, we suddenly have the opportunity to be free. But we've locked down in certain places. Reel back a little bit, 
Sigmund Freud, the big liar, had two pretty famous students, Carl Jung and Wilhelm Reich. And Wilhelm Reich said that we are all loving and kind at heart. But that as we grow, we armor ourselves. And in order to touch something outside of ourselves, we have to break through the armor. And the force needed to break through the armor can cause us to actually hurt other people that we're just trying to touch. So the analogy that I'm making here is that there's a much lighter armor that we put on as a social convenience. And when you fall asleep at night, your real self is pushing through that (laughs) and causing you to twitch and to grind your teeth. There's a lot of situations in your life where you can't say what you really want to say. It would be inappropriate. It would not help you or anybody else to tell the truth in those situations. So when you fall asleep, you're going to grind your teeth over those things. Yeah, do you have advice for, um, like, how do I how do I change this into <laughs> something that's helpful for my something body? Something right. Uh, ah! <laughs> how um, do I get it out where I'm not hurting people and not hurting my teeth, myself? Right. Yeah, you know, we all have this loving kindness, and it hurts us so much when we hurt ourselves and others that sometimes we turn around and say, well, you couldn't possibly be loving or kind. Look at all the hurt you caused. But we truly are. Um, So I was a tooth grinder from a very young age, but virtually from the time I had teeth, I ground them because my parents had another child. What a crazy thing to do. I really didn't like it at all. (laughs) (laughs) So it took me a long time as an adult to figure out what to do about it. And for me... What has really helped is to take a dropper full of hypericum tincture before I go to bed. I hear that. I I've been trying that. Um, I want. I really want to say it has helped, and I will say it has helped. Like rubbing, I we made we made hypericum tinct, uh, oil and rubbing that all over my face, and I want. I really want to say it helps, um, but. Uh, it's hard to measure if I'm grinding my teeth. It's very hard to measure. Not a way. It's very, very hard to measure, especially yeah. if you're not measuring. <laughs> <laughs> so what do people do when they're in situations where they can't say what really needs to be said? Sometimes they journal. Okay. Yeah. Sometimes they um, do physical Things like football where you can smash into other people. Sometimes they do. I loved where my granddaughter 
went to uh, was a arts, big art studio that was set up with just endless. It was like a maze of rooms and a house. In each room was like a different art center. There was a sewing center and a paint center and a you know collage center. And outside there was a destruction studio. Sledgehammers. <laughs> I'm a builder, and uh, I love... Right, and big scissors. And the, the only rule was you couldn't just go out there and destroy. You had to actually use it in an art project afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but as a builder, you have to be careful. We're talking about just wreckage. And sometimes it doesn't work to try to let your feelings out through something that's your livelihood. Because it's just too too close to the quick, it's too scary. Mm-hmm. To to do it there, since you don't really want to do it there. I um always chuckle that there are places in Japan where you can go and buy glasses and crockery, and then you are shown into a room where you can break those things safely. And talking about that, many people have said to me, oh, that's why I love taking the recycling. At the place where we take our recycling, you can throw the glass bottles in this big bin, and it's just wonderful to hear them break. Mm. Yeah, to I, me, what's, I, to me, what's really important about this is that it—you don't have to have a story. In other words, sometimes people think, like Freud would have us believe, oh well, you have to, you know, know, you know, what happened to you as a you know, you don't. You'd have to, you don't even have to know what's going on right now that you're upset. You can just be upset, really. That you can just do that and let that be enough. It's okay. It doesn't need to be a story. (laughs) Yeah. I'm angry. I'm going to smash something. Good. Okay. And there are, of course, lots of herbs that are used to promote sleep. And you might want a relationship with hops or skullcap in addition to the hypericum, which is not specifically a sleep herb. Ashwagandha with Sania somnifera is the adaptogen that brings about sleep, and also, depending on the situation, spending a little time before you go to sleep, breathing slowly, can help activate the vagus nerve. 
and can take you into a sleep state where you're less likely to twitch. Mm. Okay. I hear that. A relaxing breath that I like is to whatever count you can do. I like to use a 12 count, but that's pretty long. So I breathe one, two, three into my belly, and then one, two, three into my midsection, and then one, two, three into my lungs, and then hold for three. Mm. And then I release from the top and release from the middle and release from the bottom and stay released for three. But you could do it two, two, two and two, right? Mm-hmm. And you can, just by talking about it, you can feel the kind of calm that that brings. Yes, I I do feel that. Just you talking about it, it's very just, nice. Just talking. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. Wait. I mean, like like you, this has been going on for a long time. Or, yeah, I think it yeah. was fifteen years. Um, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna. I've got some homework. Thank you. You are welcome. Thanks for sharing with us tonight. <laughs> Green blessings. Green blessings. Good night. Thanks. All right. And I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question for Susan tonight, please press 1 to put yourself into the queue. At this time, we have one person who has raised their hand, calling from the 352 area code. From the 352, you are live with Susan. Hello, Susan. Hi. Hi, it's Carol from Nashville. Hey, Carol. What's up tonight? What a great discussion to precurse your guest. Yes. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Dr. Sleep with us and see what he has to say about all that and so on. Yeah. Oh, well, the 12 counts, uh, it, it brought to my, to my remembrance that the rosary beads are in 12 counts, the Hindu beads are in 12 counts, or three, 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 or four, four, you know, it's that rhythm of just that repetition of not thinking about what it is you're thinking about, but going blah, 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 yada, yada, blah, 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 yada, yada, amen, blah, 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 yada, yada, blah, 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 yada, yada, amen. And it does it. <laughs> Ah, oh, the healing power of blah, 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 yada, yada. I love it. <laughs> I mean, because it's really what we're doing is just soothing our souls to calm down right. by that repetition of a mantra. But, all right, so that is not why I've stayed in the queue. I call you, and I always all try right. very carefully to, you know, I want, you know, I'm a student, so I want to, yes, Professor, here's my question. <laughs> all right, good. I love, I do love you. Okay, so I, I was, uh, my question, I want to talk about stomach viruses where it's a sudden onset 
with puking and diarrhea versus the flu virus onset. And then because one lasts 36 hours and the other, and then so in relation to that, I'd like to discuss slippery elm for the first one. Because I used it today with great success. <laughs> Not with me, but Isn't like, it amazing? You know, some, oh, I, I, man, I, I hear, I hear you. And I've heard all kinds of people talk about stomach flu. And stomach flu makes not very much sense to me at all. Um, because it's a bug because it's going purge. It's not a flu. It's not a virus. It's not. It's, it's food poisoning. It's okay, just so food poisoning. So it's slippery elm like today, but okay. slippery elm really does it. Totally takes oh, care of it. Slippery right? elm starts from the tip of the mouth to the bottom of the rectum is, is what I used said a long time ago. Like it coats from the tip of the tongue to the base of your rectum. It 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 starts. It's good for geriatrics or newborn babies. Keeping anything like the story about the woman who willed a miracle, who raised that son, that that child that ended up playing, you know, fucking Liberace piano stuff because she raised him on the Irish moss and slippery elm. So anyway, I gave this lady slippery elm today because she was on her deathbed because I'm. You know, like diarrhea will kill you in 36 hours. You can never die from constipation. Uh, slippery elm is just, and, and she I'll throw it up. I said, that's fine. Throw it up because a quarter of it's still in there. You'll, you know, so it was like within 45 minutes. But anyway, I'm sorry. I'm not calling to talk. I want to hear what you have to say about that stomach virus. Oh, no, we want to hear what you have to say. So within 45 minutes, she wasn't throwing up anymore. Mm, is that what you're saying? Maybe half an hour. <laughs> Wow, well, fabulous. Yeah, so she, but I made it, so we put one teaspoon, and I was, my daughter, who's 30 and is learning the ways, she's my best nurse of the 10, you know. And, and uh, so, anyway, my best friend, Baba, and I was like, I'll be there. Slippery elm and electrolyte, and, but let's just get the, let's just start, get the, get the slippery elm into the stomach. You can't really throw it all up because it's, it's mucilage. Like it's, it's, it comes in on its own volition. Susan, I'm exactly. sorry. I did not call to talk. <laughs> but, but I'm interested. And we are all right. interested. And that's, you know, that's part of the show. It's not just a place for me to talk. It's a place where we can all share what we're experiencing and what's going on. And people are fascinated by but what I you're saying. But I think your agreement with my with the because to me slippery elm would be the equivalent of Absolutely. a very high end oat an oat you know like it's a food but it's it it's is a, a convalescent food. kind of a food yes it's a food but it's the first thing that I ever to be a learned oh, about slippery elm was that it was food for the Adirondack people. As Adirondack a lot of my children means, on, on it as their first I'm sorry, go ahead. means eats the bark. Nice. The the right the Adirondack winters the snow can get very deep and it can be pretty impossible to get out there and track any animals or do anything like that. And 
during those kinds of situations, they would indeed eat bark. And slippery elm bark was the favorite bark. You can eat almost any bark. And the book I was reading claimed a piece of slippery elm bark about two or three inches across and six to eight inches long would sustain an adult as daily food if they got that much slippery elm bark Every day for six weeks, that would be enough food. I'm like, what? I mean, that's I just a lot of slippery elm. It'll fill that's a lot of slippery elm. And I thought, now, what, what's in slippery elm that could do that? Because I can't imagine like lie. anything else, you know, that you would say, oh, it would sustain their life. So I wrote to Dr. James Duke, and I said, tell me what's in slippery elm. He was at the, the uh, U.S. And Department Dr. of Agriculture. Can, you, can I just stop Duke, you? Right. Can you give me and the name said, of this doctor? He told me okay. later. He said he was he felt so embarrassed that he had no idea what was in Slippery Elm that that's what caused him to start his database. And Dr. Duke, uh, like, what's the first And you can still go to Dr. Duke's database of constituents and herbs and find out no. what's in Slippery Elm and just about any other plant. Now, He's not going to tell you what the things are, what they do. He won't even tell you, you know, if niacin is a vitamin, right, or tryptophan is a protein. Right. He's just going to list them. So you're really <laughs> on your own in there. You've got to know what you're doing. I love that words. because if you really want to know, you'll dig. That's right. And it's a searchable database. So he would, like, choose something, you know, like um, omega-3 fatty acids. And then have his database tell him what plants were rich in omega-3 fatty acids, which is how he turned up that purslane is very rich well, in omega-3 fatty acids. Well, purslane is massage, massage. I mean, purslane, like from Florida upward. It right. really Purslane is, is underestimated. This is a great conversation, so, Susan. Thank you so much. Yeah, so slippery elm, you know, it soothes and it nourishes at the same time. And that's part of why before someone was asking about marshmallow and that I was suggesting that they first make the regular hot water infusion to get the nourishment out of the marshmallow root and then make the cold water infusion to get the mucilage. Because I want to see that nourishment going in at the same time that we're soothing. But slippery elm is different than marshmallow because marshmallow will take to an infusion where your slippery elm, you are, it's, a, it's one tablespoon and you've got a quarter cup. It's a different kind of a, it's an, more of an It's a different it's a kind of a thing, especially if, do you have like the powdered slippery elm or do you have cut and sift slippery elm? What does it look like? Both, both. But when, I, when I'm treating, you know, you need to, here, you said you have diarrhea, you said your stomach's going to die. I make a, um, like a tablespoon to eight ounces of, you know, add the warm water, make it thick, and then work on it. It tastes like wood. You'll be fine. And, you know, within five minutes, because that's what it does, dogs, this is like a cure-all for dog people, which I am not one, but I do care for animals very deeply and all that. But the dog situation, 
Slippery Elm is the cure-all for dog dogs because <laughs> they will eat it and they will be cured. Diarrhea, it's just re- Slippery Elm. It's just the bad. It's the bomb. Next to nettles, ostrol, alfalfa, and all that great stuff. Red clover, <laughs> but yeah, but I, anyway, elm, I thought about that. Slippery uh, Elm does something special because. It's not just soothing and it's not just nourishing. It seems to have an ability to absorb and then eliminate poisons from the body. I've right. seen it work that way and with animals. Uh, and Susan and we're well, we talking animal poison too. Gave them elm and it seemed to take away the symptoms like blindness or trembling or things that we were associating with um, certain poisons. And it worked that, that way externally. Like when I had oh, that MRSA wow. infection last year, and we were talking, you know, like, and I put a nice cold, slippery elm paste powder, you know, like a thicker, you know, like just a little bit to make it like a nice oatmeal, you know, you know what I'm talking about, and and internally yeah, yeah. it will draw. Like I, I, we, somebody you know that I know, we had a needle in a child's foot, and with hot salt water and slippery elm. With that needle backed out. Yay. Slippery Elm is an under, is the most, hey, it's in the top. If I had to leave with the apocalypse, it'd be in my backpack. <laughs> it is in, in my travel bag. It never comes out. There's always Slippery Elm in my travel I might go, uh, go away from home with nothing else, but there's going to be Slippery Elm with me. I know. It's it's a mother. What a nice conversation, Cynthia. Thank, Susan, thank you so much for your time. What a delightful you are conversation. Welcome. I also want to mention, while we're talking about it, that I n- knew a woman who could not tolerate the taste of slippery elm. It's pretty bland, as you say. It's kind of woody. But she simply like couldn't do it for some psychological reasons that I understood. And so she decided to tincture it. What? And she was actually able to help cure and herself of Crohn's disease. Yes, indeed. And she was able to help cure herself of Crohn's disease or the using slippery elm tincture. She used the dried cut root, not the powder. Nice. No, no, you're right. You're what you're saying. The, the, cut, the cut root versus the powder. So she used the yeah. cut root and tinctured it. What was the tincture and tinctured like? tinctured it. It looked like a regular. Like? I didn't think it was going to have any effect, but it had a very strong effect on her. So, what was her? What did she take? A teaspoon a day of it, or something? I mean, this is a really great idea. Yeah, she's. Uh, what I usually suggest with a tincture that you're a little uncertain about is, you know, start uh, with a small dose and work your way up to a dose that seems effective for you. What, what did the was tincture of mucilaginous? It's not like what, you're not going to hurt yourself. Tincture? But what, of course not. Is it slippery elm? Right. It's a pretty safe thing to do. I mean, you could start, as you say, with the teeth. Dandelion is a bigger, right. batter ass than slippery elm. Right. Slippery elm's like but, the soul. But you don't have to. What I like about starting small is that sometimes um, subtlety works better than brute force. Nice. Right, that's how that plant works too. I mean, that's how that bark works. It is. A, it's a yeah. very nice. It's like oatmeal or oats or something yes. like that. 
It, yeah. it goes to that. It's a very core, loving, you know. Mm. What a nice conversation, Susan. Thank you so much for your time. This you are great. welcome. Thanks for calling and sharing. I will. I'll send you a card here soon. I got a few of them that are really pretty. You'll like those too. Oh, goody good. I look forward to it. All right. Well, now that I've said it, I, it'll get done. Now you got to do it. Power to the people, Green Susan. Blessing. Thank you so much. Green Good blessings. Night. Bye. All right. And we have one caller who has raised their hand by pressing one. I'll remind everyone listening, if you have a question tonight, please press one and line yourself up in the queue. Our next caller is calling from the 812 area code. From the 812, you are live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi, I'm How's it going? Um, I'm calling to ask you about kava. It's a plant that okay. I'm curious about, but I've never really met or worked with. Um, and I'm just not really sure how to go about meeting that plant. Mm. Well, if you want to actually meet the plant, you might have to go to New Zealand. Okay. <laughs> well, maybe not in that form. So maybe just... <laughs> more like um, not not meeting it in that way, but getting to know it, perhaps. Yes. Um, yes. And it's there was a short time uh, when you couldn't buy kava um, because somebody in Germany uh, made a big mistake with it. Uh, but now it seems to be available again, and. I like kava root infusion, so I weigh out an ounce of the kava root, put it in a quart jar, fill it to the top of the boiling okay. water, let it sit for four hours or it's overnight. Like, and like actually, I don't strain it because okay. it's not very protein rich, so it's not going to ferment in the jar. So I just okay. leave it in the jar. And in fact, because roots um, are have stronger cell walls, um, I will often rebrew a root. So I put my one ounce of kava in my quart jar, and I make my kava infusion, and I, you, I use that for pain relief on a daily basis. And the first jar, I only need about a quarter of a cup a day. Okay. And then I'll rebrew it when it's empty, and I'll put more boiling water on the same ounce of kava in okay. the jar. Okay. I take it out of the refrigerator and let it come to room temperature because I don't want to put boiling water in a really cold jar. And okay. then that steeps for four hours or overnight, whatever is going on, or something in between there. And then I will probably use twice as much of that. So I'll use like half a cup to two-thirds of a cup as a dose. Okay. Okay, I see. And then I might, depending on the kava and what I'm tasting, um, if it still tastes pretty strong to me, I might go for a third brew. And okay. for that, a dose would be a cup or a couple of cups, depending on where it's gotten to, right? Okay, I see. Yeah, so with that... Like, and with I'm, just, I'm, just using it, I'm just using it pretty simply. Okay. Traditionally... Kava is fermented. Okay. And I wondered what would happen 
if I let it ferment. So I made a quart of the infusion and leaving the herb in the water, let the jar sit out at room temperature. I never refrigerated it with the herb in it, but I did open the lid a little because I didn't want it to explode on me. <laughs> right. right. And it did, yeah. after a while, get kind of bubbly. Okay. And okay. I tasted it, and it did not taste bad. It didn't taste like you were going to die drink this kind of taste, right? Okay. It tasted yeah, bubbly. Like, we often drink bubbly drinks. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with bubbles. And I had an apprentice who had been in a car accident and was slammed by another vehicle on her left side, uh, which made it really hard for her in the barn because we our milking setup is that the goat is to our left, so we have to turn to the left to milk the goat. And oh, okay. she had she had been taking some kava to help deal with the pain from the accident. And I asked her if she'd be a guinea pig for the fermented stuff, and she loved it so much that for years afterwards she would write and say, I, I, I am still fermenting my kava. <laughs> okay, so, you know, with some of the other infusions, they kind of start to taste bad, like you know when it's just been too you long. You know when they're bad. They have <laughs> protein in them, right? Okay. And kava doesn't have yeah. any protein. Okay. And it's that okay. bad protein taste that we don't like. Right? It's that right. bad protein when you put the chicken wrapper in the trash and haven't rinsed it out. Right. 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 Protein, the building okay. blocks of life. Everything eats it and stinks. Yes. <laughs> but we're not looking at protein in the cava, so that's not going to happen. Okay. Okay. Got it. All right. Cool. Right. So, you... That's what makes the comfrey oil smell so bad is protein. Right. Okay. Okay. Well, that makes me, you know, feel a little bit more admirable of the, you know, I can be a little more admiring of the bad smells of some things. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And okay, and cool. um, many times at the International Herb Symposium, when that was an actual event, um, we would have the herbalist ball, and we would be given small cups of some kind of kava brew. I was never privy to the actual secret of it. But I know that Herbal Ed of Herb Farm, P-H-A-R-M, is the one who donated it. And I think that it was a combination of powdered kava that was mixed with water and some kava tincture. Got it. Okay, so that's I'm a, guessing. I see a little, a little bit different of a concoction. A little bit, yes, I see. So what we keep okay. circling back around to is it's really hard to do it wrong. I see. Okay. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, I'm excited. Yeah. You know, it's like every time you get to know another plant, it's sort of like exciting. Like, ooh, you know, what's it this is, isn't be it? Like? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Really is. Yeah. All right, and we have another caller who has queued up with a question. Um, our next caller is coming from the 323 area code. From the 323, you are live with Susan. Uh, greetings, this is David. 
Hi, David. Uh, first time tonight? hearing the show. Well, first time hearing the show, first time hearing you, and it's, you are, your voice and your words and your information are a total tonic, so thank you. Um, You're when I tuned in, When I tuned in on my computer, I, you were talking about um, Slippery Elm, and I, I buy large bottles of tincture and do it a couple times a day. Um, so I'm very, very devoted to Slippery Elm. And then you, the caller questioned about kava, and I actually bought kava in Hawaii years ago, and it tore up my stomach, and I, I, I had to stop doing it. I just I couldn't process it. And it, it reminded me that my instincts this, in this lifetime have been kind of messed up. I mean, I, I think I should have been an herbalist, and I, and I wish I had a better connection to plants and, and which ones would help me and which ones wouldn't. And I'm, I have a couple specific questions, but I also have a general metaphysical question of, do you have any advice for someone who's trying to reconnect with that medicine, that energy, that truth, that doesn't always, I can't always trust my own gut instinct? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I find a couple of things very useful. First of all, Drinking a quart of nourishing herbal infusion every day mm-hmm. remineralizes the nervous system in such a way that it's much easier to actually be in touch with your body and your gut instinct really improves. Okay. And the other thing is to take plants one at a time. Okay. And to really get really get to know that plant. So it was startling when you said that kava uh, tore up your digestive system. And so let's differentiate between folklore and herbal medicine. Kava does this, that, or the other thing is folklore. Kava root in this form brewed in this way and taken in this way does this is herbal medicine. Okay. So there's a big difference between folklore and herbal medicine and folklore can often point the way but it can never really give us the information that we need to use the herbs wisely. Now, Kava is a rather strange plant in that the root has been used, is being used so much that we don't think there's any wild kava left. We think it's all cultivated. Okay. And there's a lot of different breeds of kava, the same way there's a lot of different breeds of cannabis or a lot of different breeds of dogs. Right. And especially in the Pacific Islands, where kava is primarily used, those islands can lead, that island life can lead to very different kinds of kava on different islands, even though it's still the same plant. Right. 
the leaf of kava, however, it can be quite damaging to the digestive system. I mentioned before that there was a short while when you couldn't buy kava, and that was because a German pharmacognosist um, bought, processed, and encapsulated kava leaf, uh, which was then prescribed to people under the assumption that it was kava root, and a bunch of people went into liver failure. Yikes. So, again, the difference between folklore and herbal medicine, we need to know, oh, it's the kava root, not the kava leaf. And the repetition of a word in Polynesian languages um, means it's not. Okay. And that's very confusing, too. So there's the kava, mesistic and piper. And there's kava kava, which is a different plant. Okay. And is not as safe for use. And it's not necessarily easy in the kind of situation you might have been in in Hawaii to know the difference. Right. I may have done kava kava, you're right. Yeah. Okay, that was helpful. Thank you. And I and I like the different I like the different breeds analogy. Um <clears throat> so I I generally do have my my one physical challenge in this lifetime is just, you know, digestive issues. And, and I've never been to the hospital. I've never gotten medical treatment. I've never been on prescription pills or anything like that. But, you know, I just, I have some general challenges. And I do take slippery elm, like, uh, in a liquid tincture form. It's kind of like a tincture form. Syrup. So I'm thinking, yeah. since you do have digestive difficulties, that it would be of great benefit to you if you made slippery elm balls. And I do that by drizzling honey into slippery elm powder and stirring it until it clings together and then rolling it into balls about the size of a filbert or a macadamia nut. Okay. Rolling those in slippery elm powder so they don't stick together and putting them in a tin and then dissolving one of those slippery elm balls by putting it in my cheek between my cheek and my teeth, so it's not actually in my mm -hmm. oral cavity or my mouth, but it is. Right. Uh, and ideally, it should take oh, 15 to 20 minutes to just slowly dissolve from where it is in your cheek, coating your whole digestive system. Now, digestive issues can also be difficulty with the pancreas, difficulty with the liver, Difficulty with the preparation of the food. Some people right. don't understand that our bodies have no ability to digest or to get nutrition from raw plants. Wow, I didn't know that. So any raw plants that are in your diet are going to cause digestive difficulties. 
And the more cooked your food is, the less digestive difficulty you will have. Well, does that include, like, lettuces? How much lettuce do you eat on a daily basis? Mm, not a lot. I mean, I I, I probably have a, a salad every other day. So I don't think that it's really critical. There are five ways to break the cell walls of plants. We can apply sufficient heat for sufficient time. We can freeze. We can dehydrate. We can ferment. Or we can pour oil over it. And it is certainly true when we look at studies comparing um, salad consumption and break it down into people who eat salad without salad dressing, people who eat salad with no-fat or low-fat salad dressing, and people who actually put oil on their salad, that all of the health benefits come to the people who put oil on their salad, and none of them come to the people who eat their salad without or with no-fat or low-fat dressings. Well, I do use olive oil in everything, so that's good. There you go. So you so you are cooking the lettuce. Now, I hesitated because I do cook lettuce. In fact, cooked lettuce is delicious. Uh, yeah, right. I, and yeah. romaine is is fabulous. Right. I love you know, the grill. I, a bit, I, I have a romaine. Slice it yeah. thin, I slice it thin. I heat up some olive oil. Um, I throw it into the hot olive oil, then I add some tamari, turn the fire down, and let it cook for 45 minutes or so. So the vast majority of my vegetables and fruits are cooked for at least an hour. Wow. So a couple pieces of raw broccoli could throw my stomach into turmoil. Absolutely. Wow. You know, I, with the whole raw craze, I, I, was, I just always felt like that was strange, and I, ne- I never, you know, I never was attracted to that. But I, but I, you know, I do eat, I mean, obviously, it's like even raw tomatoes. Are raw tomatoes part of that, too? Correct. Raw oh apples, raw strawberries, any raw plant. Wow. Why don't people tell other people about this? <laughs> they actually do. The raw food craze is among a very tiny portion of people. Hmm. Because it's a non-sustainable diet. You can't live on raw food. There's a kind of fun debate called the raw versus cooked debate, which you can find on YouTube. My friend Brigitte decided she was going to be a, a raw food guru. And um, I did not like that at all. Um, but I like Brigitte. I love Brigitte. And being Americans, we decided we would make money off our difference of opinion. So we hired a studio and a moderator and did the raw versus cook debate. 
I made her oh, promise nice. me. I made her yes, you can you can see the Raw versus Cook debate right there on YouTube. I will. And I, I made will. her promise made her promise me that she would eat a quart of yogurt a week. When she wound up in the hospital four years later, they told her that was the reason she was alive. And she was wow. in the hospital for malnutrition from her raw food diet. You can already, even in the debate, see the signs of what's going on with her because you see her mental confusion. Mm-hmm. Are you drinking wow. nourishing herbal infusion at this point? Well, I, my big thing right now is Ivan Chai. I just discovered, you know, the the Russian Ivan tea, and I drink probably 30 ounces of that a day. And um, when you I drink chai, chai usually has pepper in it. Right now, this is just well, you know, chai is also the Russian word for tea. So I actually buy it from a from a Russian importer, and it's just the uh, it's like the it's the loose tea. It's the 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 tea leaves and stalks exactly. all dried. And there's you know there's nothing wrong with drinking tea. It's fine that you drink thirty ounces of tea a day, but if you're drinking nourishing herbal infusion, if you're drinking thirty ounces of nourishing herbal infusion, you'd be getting calcium, magnesium, potassium, protein, carotenes, carotenoids, you would be getting so much nutrition. And what you're getting from the black tea, you could get with one cup. Okay. I see. So you don't have to drink up. So you that's don't get what extra I suggest. Benefit. No. Okay. Do get extra benefit when you drink a lot of nourishing herbal infusion. I, I, I have a rhodiolo tincture. I have ashwagandha tincture. I have curcumin tincture. I, I, like, I, I do make a lot of little, and I drink them all with aloe vera juice. So I drink about 10, 12 ounces of oh aloe vera juice. Oh, my gosh. Aloe vera juice is a known carcinogen, and it is the worst possible thing for your digestive system. Are you serious? There's all this stuff online that says it's brilliant. Totally serious. Please stop drinking aloe vera juice immediately. You will, you, I think you will stop having any digestive problem at all if you just do that one thing. Wow. See, that's, that's, that's what I was talking about my original question is that my instincts are so off because how do you – how do you tune into what your body is telling you that you, it wants and it's good for you? That is not an instinct. You did not walk out your front door and start eating an aloe vera plant, did you? No. no. I read about you it a ton online. Or you went to a store and you saw a flashy box. That has nothing to do with instinct. Instinct is your relationship to the natural world, not your relationship to a store. You can't have instincts in a store. You're being manipulated. Every second that you're in that store, you're being manipulated. Right. Well, to my defense, I did actually read a lot about aloe vera a long time before I started drinking it. I'm and not saying you didn't read about it, but I'm saying that's not an instinct either. 
No, that, but that's my that's my whole point is how do you No, your whole how do you, point, your whole point has been that you can't trust your instinct and my point is you've never relied on your instinct. All right. Okay. Reading well, is not you. instinct. Right? I know Reading that. Reading is that's, not behavior. I didn't say instinct I behavior is when you go outside and you let your body respond to the plants out there and see what you're drawn to. And half the people listening to this are saying, yeah, 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 I bet if he goes outside and he lives somewhere where plantain is growing because it's still green, that he's going to be drawn to the plantain, which is so wonderful for the digestive system. Because we've seen it happen so many times with people. Your instinct works, and it works very well. But it doesn't work in a store, and it doesn't work when you're reading. Right. But my question is not that my reading is my instinct. I absolutely know the difference between you know using my mind and using my heart and using my intuition. What I'm saying is that I don't... When they're in conflict, I end up being paralyzed, and I don't know what to do, and particularly with food and supplements and herbs, and that's my big frustration. I hear you. Let me make it really simple for you. Take no supplements of any kind. Avoid buying things that you couldn't go outside and harvest yourself. Well, I live in the desert, so that's... There's a lot of food in the desert, depending on which desert you live in, the Sonoran Desert. Yeah, I'm in Palm Springs. Yeah, the Sonoran Desert is is one of the, actually, one of the best places to forage in the world. Right, and my yard is covered with aloe vera. (laughs) Okay. And is that what you're consuming, your own aloe vera? No, because because online they say don't don't eat raw aloe vera because it'll tear up your stomach. You have to have it processed. As soon as somebody tells you that the plant has to be processed, you know you're in the wrong ballpark. Hmm. Part of how we get healthier is to stop being consumers. The slippery elm will, in a way, provide a basis for the health of your digestive system. It's like priming the canvas so that it can be painted on. Okay. The aloe vera continuously weakens the canvas. It makes it possible to paint on the canvas, but then it falls off and the canvas is weaker. Everything works 
can't make our decisions based on this does work and this doesn't work. So I base my decision on very much what you're asking about, which is the, what am I drawn to here? What do I want? What, mm-hmm. what, what is, how is my body being right? So let's take this one step back. Because we're full tilt boogie into there's something wrong with your digestion and maybe there's something right with it. Okay. Maybe your body is unhappy with what you're feeding it. One of the things that the human mind is not designed to do is to figure out what to eat. We simply have no training of any kind in it. Our ancestors never asked, what shall I eat? Our ancestors asked, will I eat? Right. And most of them ate pretty monotonous diets. So they really didn't think about what they were going to eat. We have the luxury of asking ourselves, what shall I eat? What are the best foods to eat? And it's a luxury that makes us sick. And that makes us food phobic. It was certainly one of my biggest challenges, you know, being cut stem to stern, having a big piece of my intestines cut out and thrown away, having my intestines all roiled up and stuffed back in my body. And my main rule was no food foibles. Nothing that happens is going to be laid to the feet of any one food. It was months before I was willing to eat any salad, no no matter how much oil there was on it. Because when my body looked at that, it said, not on your fucking life. Hmm. And one of the ways that I knew I was in some trouble was that it was hard for me to eat lentils. And it's still difficult for me to eat lentils, but that doesn't mean that lentils are wrong or that I have a digestive issue. It means that I mm-hmm. need to eat only a little lentils. I provide mm. myself with regular meals at regular times of wholesome, unprocessed foods, that are well-cooked, frozen, dehydrated, fermented, or covered in oil. I drink a quart of nourishing herbal infusion on a daily basis. 
I also have, if I want it, a cup of matcha. Hey, Russian black tea, coffee, hot chocolate, it's all good. Those are all great antioxidant plants. But the nourishing herbal infusion is our, is, needs to be our main squeeze. Does that make it simpler for you? Yeah, so what do you put in your herbal infusion? To make an infusion, you weigh out one ounce of one herb. You put it in a quart jar, and then you fill that jar at the top with boiling water. Put a tight lid on it and let it sit for at least four hours or overnight. So last night, I put one ounce of red clover into a quart jar, filled the jar at the top with boiling water, Tightly lidded it, and this morning I strained that. The night before that, I put one ounce of comfrey leaf in a quart jar, filled it at the top of the boiling water, let it sit overnight, strained it, and drank that. The night before that, I put one ounce of nettle in a jar. I rotate through red clover, comfrey, nettle, oat straw, and linden as my five primary nourishing herbal infusions. They're all extraordinarily rich in protein, very mineral rich. But I don't mix them. And these are all dried. Absolutely must be dried. A cup of nettle tea made from fresh or dried herb has about five milligrams of calcium. A cup of nettle infusion made one ounce of dried nettle and a quart of boiling water has about 200 milligrams of calcium. Hmm. You know, it's so interesting because I remember when I was in college and I took a, a diet class and they were talking about, you know, cooking your vegetables kills the, all the ingredients and the longer you cook them, the worse it gets and don't ever, you know, and it's like, you know, we, I, was pro, I'm, I and so many people were programmed to think that heat kills all nutrients. So let me ask you this. If you had a rock with gold inside the rock, how would you get the gold out? <laughs> well, I'd pay someone to beat the rock open. <laughs> the, but you, the guy, it's not like there's a lump of gold Inside the rock, the gold is scattered evenly throughout the rock. I see. All right, I got it. How do you get the gold? You out? have to dissolve the rock. You have to dissolve the rock. What happens to the gold when you dissolve the rock? Uh, turns to liquid. I mean, I yeah, I, I'm not good at these kind of. You can't parts. harm a mineral, can you? I don't know. Minerals are indestructible. They okay. can be solid, they can be liquid. But you can't get rid of them, nor can you make them. The amount of copper there is on this planet is the amount of copper there is. The amount of gold is the amount of gold there is, and so on. The minerals in plants could never be harmed by heat. And it's minerals that most people are missing. Vitamins are created by all plants. So people are eating plants are probably getting vitamins. But even those vitamins will 
vitamin A isn't found in plants. It's made in our bodies from carotenes and carotenoids, and the longer you cook something and the more heat you apply to it, the more carotenes and carotenoids you get. Right? Right. Okay. What, has, what has more vitamin A activity, a raw tomato, or the equivalent amount of tomato paste? The tomato paste, because it's been cooked. So you magnify minerals by cooking. You magnify vitamin A activity by cooking. B vitamins are primarily found in grains and beans. Are we really suggesting we're going to eat those raw to get the B vitamins? No, the B vitamins are water-soluble. We're going to cook grains and beans in just enough water so that there's no water to throw away because if we throw away the water, we're throwing away the B vitamins. But we're certainly not going to eat our grains and our beans raw because of B vitamins. Vitamin C is destroyed by cooking. It's absolutely true, but it's also destroyed by, destroyed by washing. It's also destroyed by oxygen. It's also destroyed by light. It's uh, vitamin C. Whew, the real roots of the vitamins. On the other hand, how much vitamin C do you need on a daily basis? What's the, what's the recommended daily allowance of vitamin C for a healthy adult? I don't know the number, but I, I certainly get my share of vitamin C. I drink at least a, a squeeze or two organic lemon every day. There you go. 60 milligrams, the amount of one dandelion leaf. Wow. Negligible amount of vitamin C, and as you say, you you have fresh citrus. Bingo, you got it. Vitamin D is a certain vitamin, so it doesn't really count just whether it's cooked or not cooked because it's not really in food, right? Except in right. mushrooms, and then when you cook the mushroom, the vitamin D is now in the liquid the mushroom's been cooked in. So yeah, that's good. So really, now what have we destroyed with heat? Just vitamin C. Hmm. Hardly the nutrient that we need to focus on the most. In fact, I don't think I've ever met a single person with scurvy. How about you? <laughs> I read about it, you know, pirates, but no, I've never met a pirate with scurvy. I've heard about it. I heard about, because in the macrobiotic community, there were people with scurvy because in the macrobiotic community, you weren't supposed to ever, ever eat anything fresh. And so there were people who actually, I was told I never met them, went to the point where the gums got black. Oh, yikes. So it's certainly possible, but in this day and age, you kind of have to go out of your way. <laughs> Be deficient in vitamin C, right? So okay, King it. is going to give you more minerals. It will give you more vitamin A activity, and it makes the protein easier for your body to handle. There's a reason why people all over the world cook their food. Hmm. There's a reason why in areas throughout Polynesia where there are hot volcanic vents, which are used as cooking holes, 
Right. They're usually, they're usually the centers of wars. The wars are usually about who gets to cook in that cooking hole. Wow, that's, that that's interesting. Wow. Yeah, that's how important cooking is. So my bowl of organic blueberries every day, not a good idea. My organic pomegranate seeds, not a good idea. Exactly. You don't have poor digestion. You have excellent digestion. It's very unhappy with what you're feeding it. Wow. Wow. You've given me a lot to think about. Yeah, freeze a this. Lot a lot to digest. A lot to digest. You know, most of the medicinal activity of the pomegranates in the skin. Okay. So if you want to go to pomegranate, pomegranate juice. Palm wonderful juices the skin. Skin and the seeds are the two most important parts of the pomegranate. I know I have pomegranates here that were just sent to me from your beautiful Sonoran Desert. And I'm not going to eat the skin and I'm not going to eat the seeds. I'm going to get rid of all the medicinal part and I'm just going to eat that fleshy red arrow. Hmm, okay. But I know that, I, that that's what I'm doing, that I'm getting rid of all the medicine and I'm just eating the sweet. So if I really want pomegranate and I want the medicine of it, then I'm going to go get pomegranate, real pomegranate juice because the seeds and the skin are in there. Wow. Wow. Do you have my new book, Abundantly Well? No, like I said, I just I just discovered you tonight. I'm, I've 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 marked all your pages online, so I'm going to do my research and and. Okay, and... great. Yeah, I you know it, I personally think it's a really great book, and I have like you know superstars of food, and I go into uh, you know really just how to feed yourself easily and well, because we don't want food phobias. Um, and we want to be at ease with what we're eating. We want to enjoy our food. We want to enjoy nourishing ourselves. Right. Right. Hmm. It's a great blessing. Thank you so much. We have so much food at our disposal to have never, for most of us, known hunger unless we chose it. Right. Right. Thank you for sharing with us. I hope you'll call back sometime. Absolutely. Thank you so much for your time and, and, and all your beautiful intelligence. I appreciate it. Green blessings. Good night. All right. Do not right. See our guest here. I do not see uh, Dr. Bruce in the queue. I can try to dial him up if you want to. Yes, why don't you dial um, him up? 
Dial up okay. Michael Bruce, Ph.D., the board-certified sleep specialist who lives in Manhattan Beach, California. Call up Michael Bruce, the author of three best-selling books. Good night. The Sleep Doctor's four-week program to better sleep and better health. The Sleep Doctor's diet plan, lose weight through better sleep, and the power of when, discover your chronotype. That's what uh, Dr. Bruce and I talked about the last time he was on the show. And he's got a new book out. It's co-authored with Stacey Griffith, and it's called Energize. Go from dragon ass to kicking it. I don't know why days. it's taking me so long to get. Okay, I'm, I'm hey, trying to get there. To he is. Hi. Welcome to the show again. So glad to have you back. Oh, he was here for a Hello. fleeting moment. Uh, I hear you, Sarah Ellen. Uh, I heard yes. him for a second. Yes, he was with us, and he dropped. Um, let me try to pass him through again. Um, give me just a moment here. Dr. Bruce appears regularly on the Dr. Oz Show, CNN, The Doctors, CBS This Morning, and Huffington Post Live. He contributes Dr. to Bruce. the Huffington Post, Psychology Today, and Dr. Oz Blogs. He's the official sleep expert for Princess Cruise Lines, where he developed the Sleep Princess the Program and the Princess Luxury Bed. Do we have Michael Bruce with us? Yes, we do. How is it going? This is Dr. Bruce. How's it, how are you doing? It's great. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome again. Thank you. I apologize for my tardiness. I've, uh, I got kind of caught between airplanes and trains and cabs and things like that, but you got me for as long as you want me. All right. Well, we're quite thrilled to have you back again. We benefited so much when you were uh, talking to us uh, the last time you were here about our chronotypes. And now you have a great new uh, book. And we also had a um, caller uh, called tonight. And the Fantastic. next caller after... The next caller after that caller said, you should ask Dr. Bruce what that caller should do. And the caller said that his wife was unhappy sleeping with him because he twitched in his sleep. How often did he say that he twitched in his sleep? Because there's, there's something called restless leg syndrome and there's something called an arousal disorder, both of which could be at play here. So is there any idea about yeah. how often he twitches in his sleep? It's... He reported that she said, keep your hands off me. So I don't think it's restless legs. Okay, good. That's much easier to deal with for sure. I so told him. When people? I told him in... It, it, not exactly these words, that, that what was going on was that he was in a high-pressure situation where he wanted to strangle people, and he couldn't do right. that. So it was kind of coming out while he was asleep. So that's actually very accurate. So one of the things that we now know is that your daytime stressors can definitely come out in your nighttime sleep, um, specifically with movement as well as vocalizations. Uh, some people, especially when they've had a very stressful universe, uh, 
whether that's work or home life or what have you, um, it can come out in our sleep. And so one of the first things that when somebody says to me, wow, I've got a restless sleeper next to me, the very first thing I do is I say, well, let's first test them to make sure that they don't have a formal sleep disorder like apnea, narcolepsy, restless leg, something like that. Now, in this case, maybe they don't have a formal sleep disorder, um, but they've talked with their doctor, hopefully, about that. If they don't actually have a formal sleep disorder, but they're finding themselves being quite restless in their sleep, one of the first things that I recommend, and this is going to sound very counterintuitive, is to go to bed a little bit later, not a little bit earlier. So one of the things that we've learned over the course of time is many people will say, oh my gosh, I'm so exhausted. I just have to crawl into bed and try to catch up on my sleep. Unfortunately, we have these things called circadian rhythms, and they're very, they're very strong, these rhythms. And, and what happens is, is they help dictate when we should sleep and when we shouldn't sleep. And so in many cases, I have patients who say to me, Dr. Bruce, I'm so exhausted. I'm going to go to bed at 8 o'clock. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Please don't go to bed at your normal bedtime. And to be clear, wake up at your normal wake-up time. Don't sleep in. Don't try to get extra sleep because, in fact, our bodies don't accept that very well. And it can make it much more difficult for us in the long run. So I think you've actually given some sage advice in saying, hey, you, there's a high likelihood that you don't have restless leg syndrome because that's a creepy crawly feeling on our legs that we feel that's very obvious and something that we can uh, explain to our doctor. Um, but we've got somebody who has restless sleep. So the three things that I look for in and, a patient and, and in fact, very, he's not disturbed by it at all. It doesn't even wake him up. It just creeps his wife out. Ah, so yeah. so now we have a we have an even more interesting situation. So we have he doesn't is not affected, but his partner is affected. Now, just to be clear, and for all of our listeners out there, lots and lots of people are affected by their bed partner's sleep habits. Whether that's what time they go to bed, whether that whether or not that they toss and turn around, it could be that they snore. All of these things have a dramatic effect on our bed partner. So I'm glad to hear that it's not this individual, but I got to be honest with you, I'm a little concerned about their bed partner <laughs> because they may not be getting yeah. good sleep. I almost suggested separate beds, but I thought I'd let them figure that out. Well, I think that's kind of fair, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of people out there that kind of don't know what to do. So let me, if it's okay, I'd like to give a couple of hints if you've got a Please. restless bed partner next to you, let me yes. go forward then. So n number one is um, it's okay, and this is going to sound a little crazy, so let me be very clear when I say this. I'm not suggesting that you sleep in separate rooms forever, but what I am saying is let's say that during the week you have to get a solid night of sleep, and on the weekends you can afford to have a little bit of uh, variety, let's say, in your sleep timing. So some couples I have where if, if it's very disruptive during the week, I have them sleep in a separate bedroom during the week and then back in their bedroom on the weekends. This way they have closeness and intimacy with their partner, but they actually get a decent night's sleep during the week. And just to be clear, when I interview their partners, their partners are so thankful that I've actually suggested that this person sleep in a separate room. 
um, because their sleep is, of course, disrupted as well. Um, that's one option. A second option is um, understanding what the problem is. So as an example, let's say it's snoring, which, by the way, is the number one problem that I hear about from people who say, hey, I can't sleep in the same bed as my partner or my partner is disrupting my sleep. It's almost always snoring. Not every single time, but it's almost always snoring. So what can you do? Number one, build a pillow wall between you and your partner. Now, this is going to sound a little weird, right? I'm going to, I'm going to stack up my pillows between me and my partner. What good could that possibly do, Michael? So let me tell you something. Snoring, sound is a matter-produced sound. It produces a piece of matter. That matter actually has to go into your ear for you to hear it. But if you physically block it with a pillow wall, guess what? You don't hear it nearly as good. So a very simple thing is just put a pillow between you and your snoring bed partner. Number two, the elbow to the ribs turnover on your side actually works. Um, part of the reason it works is because it moves people from their back, which are they're far more likely to snore in, to their side. And when you move to your side, your tongue falls a little bit forward in your mouth, and it opens up your airway. This is one of the ways that we can actually help people sleep a little bit better. Now, to be clear, if you are sleeping next to somebody who snores, and we call that heroic snoring, right? So snoring that's so gosh darn loud that it wakes you up. If that's the case, that's okay. Then what you got to do is you got to put in earplugs, you got to use a sound machine, or you got to push that person to their side and see what's going on. Now, to be 100% clear, if you hear them stop breathing in their sleep, that's a very important sign of sleep apnea. And I want every listener to know that if you hear your bed partner stop breathing in your sleep, or you are told by your bed partner that you stop breathing in your sleep, this is a situation that you really do need uh, to have some medical attention to. Undiagnosed sleep apnea and untreated sleep apnea can lead to all kinds of very big problems from a cardiovascular standpoint, which quite frankly, I don't want any of your listeners to have to go through. So one of the biggest recommendations I can make is if somebody thinks that you've got sleep apnea because you stopped breathing in your sleep or you held your breath or you choked or gasped when you woke up, please, please, please talk to your doctor about that because that could be a serious situation. All right. That's quite important. Now, and I, I hope that the listener was listening. They also were grinding their teeth, which didn't wake ah. them up. Also upset their <laughs> but wife. I bet, it, I bet it woke up their wife, right? So, so officially, that's called bruxism, B-R-U-X-C-I-S-S-M-S-M, I think. I'm not a great speller. Um, but bruxism is a well-known teeth grinding situation. Now, bruxism can occur based on a whole host of different things. Number one, un unbelievably, and this is not something that many people know, it can be a side effect of antidepressant use. So people who use antidepressants can, in fact, have bruxism based on their medication use. It's rare, but it does occur. Generally speaking, when we see somebody who grinds their teeth, it usually has to do with stress, right? And so sometimes when we don't figure out ways to work out our stress during the daytime, we have a, it comes out at night. And one of the ways that it can come out 
is in teeth grinding. So if you or a bed partner says, you know, or hears this teeth grinding, this is definitely a sign of unresolved stress nine times out of 10, in which case it might not be the worst idea in the universe to consider therapy or consider something to help relax them before bed. Um, there is um, data to suggest that an, a tricyclic antidepressant, um, something called imipramine, can actually be helpful in those situations. We talked about a certain breathing that I find effective before sleep. It slows down the breathing and really helps the vagus nerve be dominant. So, so that's a great point, and I think it's one we should kind of double tap on for just a second. So for folks out there who don't know what the vagus nerve is, the vagus nerve is a very important nerve. It really kind of runs the show, if you will, from your heart rate to your uh, lung uh, inflation and deflation uh, all the way to your immune function. And so one of the things that we know is that vagal nerve um, problems can absolutely affect sleep. So you're right on the money by saying that this could be a vagal nerve issue and it's something that people need to take, to take uh, account of and, again, talk with their doctor about. Now, you have a new book. I do have a new what? book. Thank Want you for mentioning it. Want to tell us about your new book? I do. I would love to. Um, so my new book is called Energize. Go from dragging ass to kicking it in 30 days. Uh, I know that's kind of a reverent title, but I'm pretty happy to say that I can support um, that title. And so what we did in the book was I took my previous work, which you had so I can't thank you enough for telling your audience about my chronotype work, right? So chronotypes are early bird or night owl. I've renamed them as lion and wolf. Um, also middle of the road people are bears and people with insomnia are dolphins. We've taken this vernacular, these avatars, if you will, um, all scientifically based, all genetically based, and we cross reference them with body types. So if you remember back to high school biology, um, the endomorph, mesomorph, ectomorph universe, um, that was something that we learned where there were these different body types, long and lean, uh, kind of V-shaped, and then people who are more on the stout side. It turns out that those have to do a lot with your metabolism. So when we cross-reference chronotypes with body types, we actually discovered something incredibly unique. We discovered what exercises people based on your body type enjoy doing and are willing to continue to do. So the biggest problem in exercise, quite frankly, is motivation. It's so, so difficult to get somebody to motivate themselves to exercise. So what we were fortunate enough to do is realize that if you've got a body type, let's say that's an endomorph, this is somebody who's a little bit on the thicker side, more of a pear shape, they don't want to go for a run, but they will do exercises that are more close to their body type. So we found those exercises, and we've actually assigned them to people based on this body type. So what's cool about the new book, and um, I, I got to be honest with you, I'm pretty thrilled about it, is we give people an eating schedule using intermittent fasting, once again, based on your chronotype and your body type. We do a movement schedule. So this is five times a day for only five minutes. So just to be clear, nobody's breaking a sweat with the movement that I'm talking about. It's literally 
you stretch in the morning, then you do a bounce, then you do a shake, then you do a build, and then you do a balance. So very specific exercises. Once again, based on if you're an early bird or a night owl and based on if you're an endomorph, mesomorph, or ectomorph, very specific uh, exercises that you can do, which are easy and fun, give you energy. From there, we move forward with an intermittent fasting program. Again, based on your chronotype and based on your body type, since both of those are genetic. And I got to be honest with you, dude, we have people who are dropping weight, feeling energy. It's like nothing they've ever experienced in their lives. And it literally only takes 30 days. Amazing. I'm pretty excited about it myself. (laughs) Yes. You know, I, when I first started saying, you know, um, when you actually change what you feed people, it makes pretty fast change in them. Um, People looked at me and they said, no, no, changing people by um, nutrition, that takes like years and years. Right. Um, but, But these lifestyle changes really manifest quickly. In fact, I have... Yes, they do small groups of people here and when they're totally under my control we can manifest those changes in five days not even 30 not even 30 days oh wow because they're not being influenced by any of that outside stuff right obviously in a book we can't do that have to hope that whatever else they're doing our thing is going to go in there and do it but i even i was amazed at how quickly we respond to the kind of careful attention that you're giving to um, nourishing the individual person, not trying to make people into somebody who is the perfect person who, like, gets (laughs) up early and does an hour of yoga. That's not all of us. I mean, who does that? I mean, come on, dude. I'm a wolf. Like, if it was up to me, I'd get up at 8.30 every day. I'd go to bed at midnight every night, which, by the way, I do. Like, there are – I love the fact that you have recognized that there are different types of people in the universe because let's be honest, we're all a little bit different. And I love how you have keyed in on the idea of personalization because that's what it's about, right? Like people don't need to be following everybody else's schedule. They need to be following the schedule that's right for them. So thank you. So first of all, I got to tell you, this is the first podcast where somebody has actually been figured it out enough to say, this is an individualized program that people can get involved with that can actually work for them. So I, I got to say, dude, thank you so much for recognizing that because so far you're the first. <laughs> Michael, that's the third time you've called me a dude. Call everybody a dude. I'm not a dude. <laughs> I'm a woman. Fair enough. Are you a dudette? I'm fair? not going to be erased. Fair enough. Thank you for, Thank you so for much educating for your Thank audience. Thank you so much for hearing me. Yes. You know, the inclusive words are woman because that includes man. And God Fair enough. So I will include everyone. She, I thank, you for, thank you for correcting So if you want to call everybody something, sure. call them woman. I'm because that would be inclusive. So. But dude is exclusive. I'm not going to accept it. And I let you go the first two well, times. You know what? I'm, you I'm right okay now. with that. And it's great. No, okay. I'm perfectly Thanks. fine with that. And if I said something that was offensive, please take my apology in earnest. Yeah. 
At least it's not guys. But, dude, it's not that much better, really. In fact, for the past 25 years, I've been telling women that if they allow themselves to be called guys, they'll lose their reproductive rights. I hate to be correct. (laughs) Well, I certainly Uh, hope not because they're the only ones that have them. Really? Uh, So sleep and wait. You're talking about wait and sleep in the same breath. That might be surprising to people. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. In my second book called The Sleep Doctor's Diet, Lose Weight Through Better Sleep, it talks about how when we sleep better, our entire metabolism functions better. Our entire um, ability to uh, maintain glucose for our energy, our entire ability to have energy is really, interestingly, 100% dependent on how well we sleep. And so many people have no idea of that. There was some great research that was done, believe it or not, almost 10 years ago now. Um, Dr. Ev Coulter at the University of Chicago uh, found out that when we deprive ourselves of sleep, even for just a couple of hours a night, we can put ourselves into a diabetic state, meaning that we can actually become insulin dependent just by staying awake too long. That tells us something very interesting about the sleep system, which is, hey, you need to understand your relationship with food because that has a very big relationship with sleep. And so in the book, we do intermittent fasting because I'm going to just be very honest with you. I'm not a nutritionist. I'm not, a, I'm, I'm not the guy who can tell you every single thing you need to know about your, your diet. I can tell you every single thing you know about your sleep. And so one of the things I've personally done is I've done an intermittent fasting schedule. So what's cool about my intermittent fasting schedule is I found it a way to maintain my energy and to eat what I want, uh, roughly, to be clear, I don't eat like unhealthy stuff. Um, and then from there, I learn more about how to affect my sleep. So the program is very comprehensive. I'm very fortunate that people have responded so well to it. And to be fair, the science is fantastic on it. All right. Thank you so much for your continuous work in bringing us such great health and not by making us all measure up and not by telling us all we're doing it wrong, but by showing us how we can appreciate ourselves individually and then offering a series of templates that we can try on for size and shift around so that they actually suit us. The motivation, of course, for exercise is that it feels really good to move your body. <laughs> it sure does, doesn't it? And if that, I couldn't if, agree with if you that motivation <laughs> isn't there, if you're doing some exercise that doesn't feel good, then you're not going to be motivated. Exactly. So you get the nail on your the pleasure head. And Find your pleasure and you'll do it, of course. I couldn't agree with you you more. And I know that that your audience, I know your audience values you and your opinion. And so I couldn't be more pleased that you understand what I'm trying to accomplish here. I'm not trying to tell everybody to fit into a particular category. What I'm trying to tell people is we're all individuals. There are some genetic components to us that can help guide us through these, these journeys that we have, whether it's an exercise journey, a food journey, or a sleep journey. But there are genetics 
inside of everyone listening that they can learn how to sleep better. If people want to have an opportunity to learn more, they can go to www.chronoquiz.com. That's C-H-R-O-N-O-Q-U-I-Z.com. And you can learn what your chronotype is. Are you an early bird? Are you a night owl in the middle? That kind of thing. And it will teach you a whole host of things about when to eat, when to move, and when to sleep. Fantastic. We've come to the end of our time together. It's always so that exciting. That was so quick. Be, oh, my God. Like, I feel like it happened in a heartbeat. It does, doesn't it? It's such a short amount of time. And so I have the last question, which is, what do you want to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's been listening to you? You know what? Thank you for the opportunity to, to, to have this, this time to talk to people. So. Here's, here's a few tips that I want to give to everybody. Number one, everyone, and I repeat, everyone can have a good night's sleep. It is not only for certain people. That's number one. Number two, if you want to have a good night's sleep, do yourself a favor. Very simple. Wake up at the same time every day, including the weekends. If you're at 6.30 during the week, be a 6.30 on the weekends. It will, if you could do one thing to help your sleep, that will help your sleep tremendously. And then number three, move. If you can, get outside and walk, exercise, whatever it is that is your thing. There is a tremendous amount of data to suggest that regular exercisers are better sleepers. So for all of those out there who may be struggling with sleep, Please come to my website, www.thesleepdoctor.com. We've got lots of great information. I'm going to take away a few tips, which, by the way, would be perfectly fine to do. Wake up at the same time every day, exercise every day, and you will see an improvement in your sleep. You are wonderful, Dr. Bruce. Thank you so much. And Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me to restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine. We've always thought that sleep was healing. Good night and green blessings, everybody. Take care and sweet dreams. Sweet dreams.